podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Go on! Go on! Sometimes longer isn't better. So if you're looking for a fantasy NFL game that doesn't last all season, try Paddy Power Fantasy. Every game week is a season in itself. Try it for free on our super short, super free contest on this Sunday's 6pm games. The top 900 customers in the contest win a prize with £400 for first place. Search Paddy Power Fantasy to pick your team. Paddy Power Fantasy. Hate waiting, love winning. Paddy Power Fantasy rules apply. Team plus Hello and welcome to the Nat Coombs Show presented by Paddy Power Fantasy. Good to have you with us this fine Monday as we look back on week six in the NFL and a lot of big stories to be getting into. The Saints win again, the 49ers turn over the LA Rams, Minnesota show their teeth. So we'll be getting into which team we think is the best in show at the moment in the NFC. We'll get through all the key results from the weekend. We'll look back another successful international series game in London too and a great win for the Carolina Panthers who are forcing their way surely into the reckoning comedian Marek Lawa drops by very shortly to get into all of that and then later on we're going to be joined by the statistician Charlie Mullen who's been keeping a lot of data about the international series since that very first game back in 2007 so he's got some interesting stats uh, about yesterday's game at Spurs and some good general international series goodies for you uh, as well don't forget this is the first of four episodes dropping uh, this week if you're new to the show you've seen us for example on the itunes homepage and thanks very much to the apple podcast uh, crew for that support good to have you with us and we drop four episodes a week mike carlson uh dropping by on wednesday for a deep dive we're going to do a mailbag special with iron mike this week so hit us up on social media to get your questions in uh to ask mike at the NC show, uh, Jay Bell in the house on Friday, uh, dropping by the ESPN studio. So we've got a jam packed week, uh, coming your way. And if you haven't already subscribed to us on your pod catcher of choice, right then enough of all this housekeeping and all this talk. Let's get straight down to business and welcome for the first time this season, the great Marek Larwin. Marek, man, good to have you on. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here now, and I can't wait to start talking about um, American football-related items. Well, okay, let's get the first things first before we get into uh, a lot uh, happening in week six, and we're going to rattle through all the key things that you need to know uh, at home. Let's familiarise you with our listeners. Now, a lot of our old-school listeners will know you from from pods uh, gone by, uh, but for the benefit of of our new listeners, you are a comedian, you're an actor. You're a Detroit Lions fan, right? Those are probably the three key things we need to get out there, yeah? I'm bald. I'm bald. <laughs> I'm bald as well. Four key things that we need to get out there. Uh, and how is life? How is, uh, how is work going? What are you working on at the moment? I'm going to another series of uh, Celebrability, which is a show that uh, comes on after Love Island, which I'm assuming that none of your... I listeners watch i don't know i think i think there are probably some secret i know ollie our producer is a huge love island fan so i'm sure he'll have he'll have stayed on and watched you after after love island that's a decent time slot though well it's work it's work isn't it <laughs> i am i am uh, 43 now so i do not know <laughs> who many of the people are <laughs> and how about your lions of course so we're recording this on monday so involved later on tonight in monday night football against the packers tough old gig there but pretty decent season so far are you buying into the, the matt patricia era 
But I think we've made some great acquisitions. Justin Coleman's been brilliant. And against the Chiefs, what's odd about the Lions is we've won two games we should have lost. We should have lost to the Eagles. We should have lost to the Chargers, who were so unlucky and just made mistakes, as they did again this week. And then we just played one bad quarter against the Cardinals, who I don't rate at all. Mm. And then uh, against the Chiefs, we played absolutely brilliantly. But I think they're just a more talented team. So the fact that we're 2-1-1 one, and one is just um, a, a miracle, really. But I think uh, the NFC North is the... Well, I don't know. NFC South as well. Um, Toughest division of football? I think those two are. Is that what you I think? think? We're yeah. going to look at the NFC in, in, in a lot more detail, put some power rankings together as well, because of interesting results. Uh, of course, the 49ers, comprehensive win. They are looking like the real deal. And strangely for a team with that record, they've been going a little bit under the radar. So we're going to pay some lip service to them. We're going to try and work out uh, some kind of power rankings in the NFC a little bit later on. But we're going to start with, with Sunday night football, Mario. We'll get straight in uh, into that. And uh, another deeply frustrating night for Philip Rivers, and the Chargers going down 24-17 to the Steelers. And it is the story that we've seen many times before, really, with this LA Chargers side. Uh, sloppy Rivers turning over the ball again. Uh, Melvin Gordon back in, in business, but barely uh, delivering. They had, I think, 10 touches, 45 total yards. Uh, the offensive line, uh, same old leaky problems there as well. It seems like the Chargers season, which started so promisingly, I think a lot of people thought they'd repeat what they did last year or thereabouts. It looks like it is going to the dogs, doesn't it? I think there should be a, a luck index in, <laughs> in, in American football because typically the Lions might have been really unlucky. The Browns perennially unlucky and the Chargers are almost taking up that mantle. I look at some of the turnovers. You know, it's just when, if, if Philip Rivers gets a tip pass, if it falls into the Steelers' hands, you know, maybe one out of five times that that's happens. going to happen. Yeah. And it, it always happens to the Chargers. Against us, they were unlucky. I mean, you would have said they would have easily have turned over the Steelers with a third-string quarterback. But it just, I just think there's... And Melvin Gordon, it must have been disruptive as well, him holding out for so long. So he's not going to be familiar. He's not going to be totally... Uh, is that oh, one of the worst? Is that going to go down as one of the worst holdouts ever? I mean, particularly last night when you look at it was James Connor doing the damage for the Steelers, who of course was the the main beneficiary of Le'Veon Bell holding out last season. Bell obviously held out for the entire season with the Steelers before he was dealt to the Jets, and James Connor stepped up. And after a couple of weeks, it was well, we don't need Le'Veon Bell anymore. This guy is decent enough. And uh, there's the same kind of issue, I guess, with Melvin Gordon. He held out trying to get Zeke Elliott type money, he didn't, and now he's reasonably ineffective in a side that at the moment isn't looking like it's going to make the playoffs. Yeah, well, I, I think that something strange is happening is that the sort of cult of personality is people getting a bit sick of that in the NFL. Mm. I think the Patriots have always been that side where they take on difficult players and they turn them around. But mm. the whole Antonio Brown saga this year and the fact that the Giants were willing to part with Odell Beckham. Yeah. These superstars with difficult personalities. And it's fascinating that you've got the Steelers who've been decimated by losing, you know, Livion Bell, Antonio Brown, and also the injuries to Ben Roethlisberger. But they're star players they've lost, you could say, primarily because of personality conflicts. Yeah. Yet they're turning over a team who has, who's, 
he's sticking with Melbourne Gordon, who it must have been disruptive. So mm. I think it's good, actually. I think it's good for the NFL that the players are losing their sort of power, power somewhat and that teams are willing to sort of get rid of these players that mm. do cause more problems than, um, they are, than, than they are an asset to the team. It's a really interesting point. Uh, on the Steelers, uh, you mentioned Roethlisberger going down. Of course, his backup, Mason Rudolph, out. Uh, last night as well after that horrendous hit. So he was in concussion protocol. Should be back quite soon. But it meant that Devlin Hodges, uh, the rookie, making his first NFL start. And, uh, you know, it was uh, serviceable, I guess. He completed 15 of 20. So he was quite tidy with the ball. Didn't do a huge amount, but didn't need to because I say uh, James Connor, And then the wonderfully named Benny Snell uh, came in for Connor after Connor uh, suffered an injury in the third quarter. Benny Smell, a uh, Snell, sounds like uh, <laughs> I didn't do that on purpose. I promise you. I promise you I didn't. I was just saying that. Benny, it Benny sounds Smell. like a four-year-old has made up <laughs> team. We've got running back. I'm going to have Benny Smell. And quarterback, I'm going to have Brian Skids. <laughs> Oh man, I was, he says, I was going to say he sounds like a Scorsese character, but yours is much, much better. No, uh, definitely. Uh, Snell, great, uh, great, um, great. We've got to put a list together of the best known players in the NFL right now because there are some, there are some belters, but Penny's got to be in there. Speaking of power rankings. So the Steelers moved to two and four. Uh, is there any hope for them? Or, I mean, given they're in the, the AFC North, of course, um, which means they're now level with the, the Cleveland Browns, would you believe? They've got identical records. Well, that is the worst of it, isn't it? I think the AFC, AFC um, well, the North. East, they're also, they're well, playing the uh, the NFC South, aren't they? So they're matched. They all got to play the forty. Is, is that the right? The Forty Niners, or who are they playing? They're playing a good division, aren't they? Yeah, is that they've got? Oh, they to play the Seahawks, haven't they? Forty Niners and Rams. Yes. So I think you can probably win that division. You want to see an eight and eight team win that division? It's one of those divisions. I remember where the Panthers won the NFC South the seven and nine record. Yeah, Seahawks think. done it with seven and nine as well. I think they won the division with seven and nine. I, it's odd for the Steelers because they're in rebuilding mode, but they're in a division where they can win. Yeah, yeah, but almost you don't want to, you don't want to win because I think there's a lot of strong teams. When you look at the Chiefs, you look at the Texans, who are um, really impressive, and the Patriots. And you've got to say the AFC between those three, I think, are far and away better than a lot of teams or anyone else in the AFC. So what is the point of going to the playoffs and just being an 18 team for a while? Get a good draft pick in. But how are they going? <laughs> it seems to be quite polarised, the um, NFL this year, where there's a lot of really, really bad teams in rebuilding mode. Very few exceptional ones. That's a, it's a good point. Well, let's talk about two of them that, that you've earmarked as serious contenders because they went head-to-head, of course, yesterday and it lived up to the hype as well. The Texans uh, taking down the Chiefs 31-24. Of course, uh, a lot of people, uh, understandably, were talking about the quarterback head-to-head battle here. Mahomes had injured the week before. Um, did he look completely himself to you in this one, Marek, or did you sense that he was slightly banged up? I think he's a bit banged up, and there's so much pressure on him. Um, and people have, I think, since the Lions and the Colts played them, they've, they've worked out if they go play man-to-man on D, that he maybe struggles a bit more. But he's just carrying the team. There's no doubt he's brilliant. I think he did look a bit injured. But for me, I thought Deshaun Watson, for the well, I think this season, showed that he is an elite quarterback. I think he's brilliant. I think he's a threat running with the ball. He's motivates his whole team. He's a born leader. 
and I wouldn't be surprised if he's in now in the MVP race the MVP as well. discussion. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not a coincidence that this was the second straight week the Texans protected him. Second straight week, they uh, didn't allow any sacks, and that's been a perennial problem, of course, for them, and then particularly uh, during his tenure as their starter. Uh, and and <laughs> this is what happens. It's not exactly rocket science. Protect your quarterback to that degree, and good things happen. Of course, other uh, key protagonists in the mix – DeAndre Hopkins, who had such an exceptional season last year and is, uh, you know, no doubt about it, a top five receiver in the NFL. This was his first touchdown since week one. Uh, and of course, it was the, uh, the catch that clinched it in a really gutsy, uh, gutsy call as well, uh, from Bill O'Brien. Where does this leave the, the power rankings in the AFC then? The Patriots are, are best in, in show at the moment. Do you think the Texans, based on this result, without overreacting to it, are very close to Kansas City? Yeah, I do. I think they've got, you know, they've got Hopkins, they've got Will Fuller, who's a brilliant receiver. They've really picked up two really decent running backs, you know, Carlos Hyde and Duke Johnson. Mm. And that's a really good tandem there that I think has gone a bit unspoken. That gives that relieves some of the pressure on Deshaun Watson. And their D's always been good. So I, I, I really think they're looking like a strong bet. I mean, they're in a, arguably a tough division as well, but I, I think they just look solid. Whereas the Chiefs, Holmes has to, he, he's so remarkable, but you feel like it does carry the team. I mean, Tariq Hill's back. I don't like him as a human being, but that should, um, but that should improve things for the, for, as a player, he's very dynamic and he's sort of adds he demonstrated another, that, didn't he? I mean, uh, straight off, uh, off the bat, no Sammy Watkins again. Of course, it's worth pointing out, and a bang up line as well. So you've got to put, you know, a, a word of caution before I think overreacting to the Chiefs suddenly in the decline. But it's a really interesting point you make about Mahomes and, and the pressure. Do you get a sense that if you, you know, bring this back to football for a minute, and players like Messi and, and Ronaldo in particular, those types of players who can, who are exceptional, of course, and can change a game with one bit of skill. So there is often a sense that they've got to do that every time they touch the ball. And do you think Mahomes is slightly kind of in that bracket because he's such um, an exhibitionist um, in terms of the way that he, he plays football and the, the way that he's moved that position on, the highlight reel aspect of his play? Do you think there is a sense now that when he has, by most people's standards, an okay game, or very good game rather, it would just be deemed an okay game by him and he's almost expected to do something really, really remarkable every time he's got the ball. Well, I think a weird thing happens when you play Mahomes, I mean, when the Lions play him, when the other teams I've seen playing him, because he is, I think, far and away the best quarterback at the moment. And he's, he's you know, the greatest quarterback of a generation where he's playing. Mm. The team's up their game. I mean, the Lions, notably, the secondary played a lot better against Mahomes. And I see teams who play poorly one week, thinking, oh, we're up against Mahomes. You can feel that sort of concentration and buzz every time he's there. Not just him and the offense, but amongst the whole D as well. It's really interesting. I think what often happens, I think it's like in baseball when you get a brand new player. Mm they come in, or even a brand new quarterback. They're an unknown quantity. So like Carl Allen, for example, and Gardner Minshew, they're totally unknown. So the teams don't know how they're going to play. So they often have a couple of good weeks before all the millions of um, spotty weirdos analyze work all their out. play and work out, yeah. all right, he can't work. He can't operate outside the yeah. pocket. He, if you pressure his right side, he's terrible throwing. He only throws like 15% to the, the left, so we'll just 
focus all our secondary on that area. Uh, I'm not saying it in a very articulate manner, but they, they get worked out. Only the really great players who vary their game can manage to sort of overcome all... Because you've got thousands, Such a good thousands, point. Yeah, you've thousands got the, of people analysing it constantly. Yeah, and it's the unknown quantity, as you say. So the, the fundamental difference between a quarterback, a backup quarterback being thrust into a game where the opposition's defence hasn't had time to prepare for them versus that team playing them two weeks later, for example, or the team that's playing them a week later has had time. And, and to your point, three, four games in, quarterbacks with limitations undoubtedly are going to get going to get found out. And that is why often they are backups or at the, at the bottom end of the 32 uh, teams in terms of their st- starter rankings. Let's move on to Kyle Allen then uh, and the game in London. Did you get yeah. to either of the, uh, the games at Spurs? No, I prefer, which is controversial, I prefer watching it on my computer in my room. <laughs> <laughs> Would you prefer, you prefer the broadcast? And it's not a controversial, is it? Well, it's an interesting point, but you prefer watching games on TV to, to live. Yeah. I think, I think that is a big concern for the NFL. And I think this is probably true of a lot of, a lot of live sport moving forward is broadcast becomes stronger and stronger both in terms of definition and quality of picture uh, and, and output uh, I think but also with the the home comforts and you know the multi-channel the red zone vibe of being able to watch lots of different games at the same time and social media and everything else I think it is a is a huge concern uh, for for the NFL and I bet you're not alone in that what is your Sunday evening uh, preferred mode so are you are you a red zone through and through do you have a live game on as well do you have kind of multi-screens on with different games and red zone my favorite thing is to do multi-screen one game and the red zone i think we talked about this before because the red zone you just see highlights and you don't really get a feel for the game and it's the, the context, same thing yeah sure watching a match a day in soccer i'm saying yeah. soccer because you've got american listeners exactly. you have players you just watch you watch five minutes of the game you, um my team in 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 football, you have a player does amazing amazing things, the highlight videos, but does loads of awful things as well. So you only ever see these amazing. <laughs> sure. So I always minute, watch the two minute or so highlights on uh, NFL.com. Sometimes don't even have all the touchdowns. I mean, have you noticed that? It just sometimes just miss out a score. It's quite hard to keep across it all because you're really reliant on red zone and what they show. And um, so I always try and watch a game. Uh, teams I like watching, certain, like the Chiefs are always good to watch. The Browns are good to watch. Obviously, I watch the Lions. I do like watching the Chargers as well. They tend to have a exciting games. Certain teams who I like who are quite exciting, I'll just tune in if the game's getting exciting. You want to watch more of that. You obviously have the uh, TalkSport 2 live show on as well right i have talk sport 2 playing in my head 24 <laughs> hours a day how's that ma- have you managed that have you just got some kind of chip implanted that just plays it yeah the odd thing is that i can no longer hear it <laughs> I'm completely i'm listening to it it's like white noise yeah that's extraordinary <laughs> okay well i hope that i hope that sorts itself out by next sunday it uh, takes seven that. years of listening to talk sport to to achieve achieve this <laughs> okay. goal let's talk about the panthers win at the game you weren't at but presumably watching uh, on your laptop uh it was a really impressive defensive performance from uh, the panthers getting uh, to james winston seven uh, times uh, and of course uh, winston coughing up the ball uh, as well on numerous occasions so a really impressive display defensively by the panthers which we expected to see because that bucks 
uh, offensive line was banged up and Winston is very much boom or bust, isn't he? A high risk kind of player. And we saw, uh, the bust Winston, uh, variety, uh, on show. How seriously should we be taking this Carolina Panthers side, do you think? Well, I, I think it's, I don't know what's going to happen when Cam Newton comes back. That's a big mm. question for me because Carl Allen seems to be running it really, really well. Christian McCaffrey's having an incredible season. So if, as long as he doesn't get it'll be fine. And I don't know whether, for me, whether Cam Newton's, do they move on from Cam Newton? What do they do? It's really it's a, odd. It's a big concern. I mean, Rivera was deadpanning it when he was, when he was asked, understandably. But I think it's a massive concern because even when Newton comes back and he's good to go, I'm not sure he's going to be right because I don't think he's been physically right by the look of it for quite a long time. And then you talk to beat writers. We had one on the radio show a few weeks back and the suggestion is that he's, you know, he's not going to be anything close to a hundred percent fit this season, even when he comes back. Right. And Alan gives this Panthers side that type of balance that a lot of serious contenders and often championship teams need, which is, as you say, they've got a, a world, the playmaker in McCaffrey that can pretty much win games uh, on his own with one play, a really, really strong defense, uh, and a quarterback that is, by and large, very, very careful with the ball. He doesn't give it up. So mm. even if he's, the ceiling isn't massively high with him, he isn't a game-changing talent in the way that Newton definitely can be and, and players like McCaffrey are. He's not going to lose the game for you either. I'm quite big on this at the moment. I think this is true with Garoppolo and the 49ers too. And uh, I know he had a pick yesterday, but generally speaking, he is careful with the ball against players like say Baker Mayfield that Brett Favre style will try and thread the eye of the needle and throw it into triple coverage and that will pull off at times and be you know incredible to watch but a Jameis Winston is going to cost you too many games as a result of that so I wonder whether they make a decision based on that they think look if they keep on winning we have got a team here that has got really good balance so let's go with go with the hot hand Safe and boring hand. He's thrown, <laughs> he, he's thrown sure. no interceptions, right, so far in his career. Is that, I'm not sure if that's right. I think it's something along those lines. But Cam Newton was never, you know, he was always that dual threat quarterback. And he never was an amazing passer. You know, he never was, I don't think, an elite passer of the ball. Yeah. And th- you're right, since he's had these injuries, he's not been the same as he was in that Super Bowl season. Um, they had definitely hasn't been the same. And it's, I, I love all these quarterback dynamic things and see what they're going to do if they're going to move on. I mean, he is the face of the franchise, so. Yeah. But it's an interesting, I mean, you know, if you think about it, they were 0 and 2 at the, at the start of the season, the first you know, two weeks into the season. And there was talk of Newton coming to the end of his time, not least contractually as well. Rivera, the front office, it, a few weeks back, it, it could have been a whole scale change at Carolina. Now they're, now they we're definitely going to get into them in our power rankings in a little bit. So big win. Uh, for them, let's talk about the Dallas Cowboys next, um, because uh, another worrying defeat for them against uh, the New York Jets. Uh, the Jets had Sam Darnold back. Of course, he'd been out for a number of weeks with with glandular fever. And I think a lot of people felt that it was the if you talk, a half chuckle because not because not a man had glandular fever, but because the Jets are like the Chargers and your Lions and, and the Browns, one of those teams that seems to be cursed with bad luck. And when Donald went down with that. Uh, Jets fans I know were just rolling their eyes out. Like, Come on. But came good yesterday, didn't he? And I know that Amari Cooper went out for the Cowboys, which affected their offense significantly because such a strong tandem with, with Dak Prescott. And the, and the Cowboys were in it for a lot of the game. And of course, that failed two-point conversion 
meant that they lost, but they could have taken it uh, to the death. But another worrying defeat for them. And Jerry Jones, their owner afterwards, Marek, saying, I don't think we're that strong a team. Uh, are they suddenly falling out of the, the wrecking now? I mean, it's been a bizarre old season for the Cowboys. Well, it's odd. I think it was the worst time to uh, meet the Jets. They, they basically, they lost their two tackles are injured, aren't they? Yes, exactly. Um, so, it, and the Jets defense for me, they were the star of this game. They looked great. And that the, is it Quinn and Williams? Quinn and Williams who played well. They were just all over and really pressuring Dak Prescott. And I, and they played with this intensity. I've not seen the Jets play in a while. It seemed like a completely different Jets team. I don't know if you think it was just the Sam Darnold coming back. I think something clicked in their defense and they, I think they knew that the, uh, Cowboys O line was was you know had injury problems and they really sort of dominated that. So yeah, I, was, I think it was really impressive from the Jets. I don't think the Cowboys are that great. I think they're but they're lucky enough to be in the division with the Redskins and Giants who are struggling and the Eagles who've got injury problems as well. So I think they could still end up winning that division and making the playoffs. But I don't think they are among the top contenders in in the nfc i mean you're right it's one of those divisions that is is very winnable and they're playing uh, the afc east as well those two uh, matched up so that is definitely in in their favor um in terms of the injuries to the line Lael collins i think is maybe the more serious one ian rapaport the nfl uh, network insider was talking about it being i don't think it's a torn mcl but an mcl injury uh, and tyron smith of course as well uh, out uh, so that is a massive concern going forwards given the form that they're in but they uh, I, if you look uh, as a, at what we say in terms of that division that is eminently winnable, um, all is not lost for the Cowboys at, at the moment. What do you think they should do with that Prescott? And does that a lot depend on the next four or five weeks? I mean, let's just say they do go on more of a skid and <laughs> back to your point earlier. And, um, and, uh, well, they drop, should get uh, Benny Smell in. They should get Benny Smells in. Do you think they say they... Say they fall out of playoff reckoning realistically, right? Does that mean that they don't pay Dak Prescott? Well, look, the whole callback thing is quite odd, isn't it? Because Dak Prescott sits in the middle, this weird sort of middle ground where he's not elite. He has great games where everyone goes, oh, he'll get a great quarterback, then he'll play pretty average. I think you've definitely got to take into account that he's lost to his offensive line, key members of the offensive line. But then again, you also should take into account that the Cowboys have had the best O-line, you could say, in the last three years. Yes. Could yeah. any quarterback go in there and play at a high level with that amount of protection? But it's how you get... It's just such a pain in the backside trying to get a decent quarterback, you know, with the Lions, people complaining about Matt Stafford, but I still think it's brilliant. It's so hard. You see so many people draft early. You see uh, Josh Rosen's now in, in the abyss. He's been dropped. Yeah, uh, yeah. Marcus Mariota, he's, I think that's the end of his career. He's yeah. a number two pick. Mitchell Trubisky, I think yeah. he's the bane of all Bears fans and will stop the Bears you know, winning any titles because he looks like he's about to start crying every time he throws a ball. We were talking about that in the in the booth yesterday before the game that and the Jags, I think it was initially Bill Simmons on his show that was suggesting that one of the Jags uh, quarterbacks, they could deal, right? So when Foles comes back, do you deal Foles? Do you deal Minshew? And I think he was saying, would the Bears do a a deal where they switch, they swap Minshew for, for Trubisky, for example? But it does raise an interesting question, actually, with the Jags, whether they will 
shift one of those players and also what the Bears do as well. I mean, the same question with, with Kyle Allen, I guess, if the Panthers do go back with Cam, the Bears only look at a player like that because they're built the same way, great defense. They just need a player that isn't going to lose them games. Yeah. I mean, or, or do, does Cam Newton get shifted somewhere? Right. Which is, but he will command more money. I think yeah. the, um, the Jags questions, I mean, Foles seems to be, I think he's destined to be that player who comes in and <laughs> saves franchises. Yeah. I think the Jags would deal Foles because he's older. There's a weird sort of, if more Minchu money, more on, space as well. Exactly. Um, Minshew's got this quite sort of cult status that seems to have energized the fans. Yes. Um, which Jacksonville fan, you know, the Jaguars never really had that sort of excited fan base. He's exciting. He's passionate and he's, he's young and he's cheaper. So you just deal foals who had the injury issue. Someone's going to pick him up. And then the Jags could be, well, they are sort of almost contenders again now. So I think, um, maybe we could see foals move around. And I think I really rate Nick foals. I think, um, uh, uh, he's a, a, a great player. He's got a great arm on him. And he, the way he played for, for, I think he had a couple of great seasons for Philadelphia. Yeah, he has. But yeah, yeah. that Super Bowl run, and we want someone who's done a, you know, literally carried your, won't carry your team, helped your team win a Super Bowl. You know, you can't say there's any doubts about that, yeah. them being a playoff quarterback, which there are a lot of questions about a few quarterbacks and how they deal with pressure. Well, let's talk about uh, one in particular, Jared Goff getting shut down by the 49ers, 20 to 7, San Francisco wins. Uh, and Goff uh, contained to 78 yards. Uh, that's all he managed, uh, completing just over half of his passes. The 49ers defense sacking him four times offensively. Uh, they were uh, impressive uh, again. It was um, really a, a solid all-round performance from uh, San Francisco and another worrying performance from uh, Jared Goff. And uh, what do the Rams go, or where do they go from here? Because it starts one week, two weeks, uh, overreaction, central. He hasn't suddenly become a bad quarterback overnight, but suddenly uh, they're in this situation now, not dissimilar to uh, where the Cowboys are, and the pressure is mounting that maybe Goff isn't their guy. Todd Gurley didn't suit up, and he's got huge injury concerns, uh, as we suspected going into this season. The shine coming off the, uh, the McVay Rams at the moment, and he's facing probably the first crisis of his head coaching career, isn't he? But, but no one ever rated Goff. I don't think Goff was. Yeah, I think, think I did. I mean, good? I think last season the, the numbers don't lie. And, and I, again, I think, you, of course, you've got to look at the context of it. That, as we well know, he was mollycoddled to a stronger or lesser degree by McVay. But yeah, in that situation, certainly he was he was delivering. I know he didn't turn up at the Super Bowl. Um, mollycoddled you know, is a great. That is a great word to use in a sports podcast. <laughs> Molly I thought you'd like that. Um, if Let's I was go watching... all 1920s. <laughs> Molly I think that Sean McVay Molly Coddles, Jared Cole. <laughs> um, I, think, I think we have to bear in mind that the 49ers D looks pretty convincing. I think they are, I think that, like, that they are going to be one of the, they are one of the best, um, defense at the moment. Yeah. They, they just really, uh, he was constantly under pressure. So I think you have to take that into account when judging Goff. It's, I mean, the 49ers have come from, well, slowly crept up, haven't they, to be in this undefeated team and no one really is taking that seriously. Maybe after this game, uh, I just watched the highlights of it. I thought, oh, they do. I never really thought they were legit. And now I think they... Now you do. Yeah. 
I mean, defensively, yeah, they were 0-9, the Rams, on third down. Uh, 0-4 on fourth down. Uh, it was, yeah, a, a comprehensive performance in another team that has, as you say, a really strong defense. Offensive playmakers, George Kittle, take uh, take about Great running game. I mean, the running game didn't really kick off. Tevin Coleman got a score, but it didn't really kick off against the Rams. They kind of held him and Breeder in check, but it has been strong this season. There is enough balance there, I think. They have to be taken seriously. Well, let's get into that then in terms of uh, the power rankings, Marek, uh, in the NFC. So uh, the Saints won, of course. Again, another win for Teddy Bridgewater beating uh, the Jaguars. We figured that would be a low-scoring slugfest kind of affair, and it was 13-6, but Teddy uh, getting the win there. And the Seahawks, uh, what a game that was against the Cleveland Browns. Cleveland going uh, into uh, an absolute tear early on, but Russell Wilson getting it done uh, once again, an absolute thriller. The Browns on the wrong end of it. Uh, Seattle win again, 32-28 uh, to 28 at the final there. And, of course, the Vikings, uh, they uh, blew away Philadelphia pretty comprehensively. Uh, that was as well, 38-20 at the final. So all of those three teams have to be in the mix as well. So let's take a look at this um, at this NFC power rank. And we've got the Saints, the 49ers, uh, the Rams still have to, I think, be in the conversation, as do the Cowboys. Uh, the Panthers emerging, the Seahawks, of course, as well. Uh, the Vikes. What, what are you looking at in terms of your, let's take your top six in the NFC. Well, let's talk, we'll talk a bit about the Vikings. I think you have to take them seriously. I think, um, Kirk Cousins came under a bit of criticism for being too conservative in the do you last. Like Kirk two Cousins? I'd still, uh, I prefer him to Jared Goff. I prefer him to Dak. Zach Prescott. I mm. think he's in that sort of weird, almost like Jimmy Gruppolo sort of model, where you don't really notice him that much. <laughs> he doesn't really do anything spectacular. But then, then again, again, in this game, in this part, beats he, up, he, bad, he, beats he up played, bad teams, struggles against tough teams. But then, you know, he put that uh, argument uh, on its head against the Eagles. But I think he was brilliant against mm. the Eagles. Yeah. And they, obviously, there were some, some problems in the locker room with Stefan Diggs saying he wasn't getting enough touches. Then he scores a three, he was brilliant, three touchdown game. Yeah. You've got Adam Thielen, who I really rate. I love him. I think he's a really great receiver. Um, Del- Delvin, Dalvin or Delvin Cook? Dalvin. Dalvin. Dalvin Cook. Yeah. He's a, you know, come back from injury. He's looks a, a great running back. Alexander Matterson as well, the rookie who, who spells with Dalvin Cook had a good game too. So they got they got depth in the running back position. Yeah, I think the Vikings were, are going to win uh, the NFC North. I just think they've they just uh, they've look they look great, and I think um, their offense is really dangerous. Um, in terms of other sides, I mean, there's no the one. Saints have to be on top, right? Yeah. They're winning without Drew Brees. Yeah. I think they, they they just the Saints for me it's between the Saints and the Seahawks. Yeah, I think they're both they've both been contenders for quite a few years. I mean the Saints were done over in that um, conference final game, so I think they've got a they were done over. <laughs> <laughs> the Saints got done over like little guy Richie on has got got done over. Guy Richie doing an NFL NFL film would be would be great. They would maybe some. I like quite like the idea of East End gangsters ending up owning an NFL, an NFL franchise. Yeah. <laughs> He's done him over. 
Um, yeah, so the, I, I think uh, for me, at the, the top of the Saints and the Seahawks, you know, they've both got really wily head coaches. They're really experienced. I mean, like, the Seahawks, Russell Wilson's just playing spectacular um, football at the moment. And they've got, you know, players who've been there before. They've got that running back. Who's that? You know, I name the Seahawks running back. I can't remember who's playing. Chris well. Carson? Yeah, Chris Carson. They both look good. Um, I do think that their division's so strong. I think the 49ers are contenders as well. And the Rams. I mean, you could have three teams come out of that division into the playoffs. So you feel the Rams are going to be uh, going to be okay. Uh, what about the Packers? I mean, and, and look, we, as we said at the top of the show, we're recording this before, uh, before Monday Night Football. They've got to be. I mean, their defense is really stepping up as well. And as we've talked a little bit about on the pod already this season, the offense hasn't really got into, into full gear yet. Certainly Aaron Rodgers hasn't got into, into fifth gear. And yes, the Aaron Jones has, and then some, but again, speaking of balance there, I mean, you've got a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers, who you think is only going to get stronger this season. The more that offense starts to uh, become cohesive, they've got to be in the mix. Yeah, I think I think they are. I think I mean, in that division, all four teams could potentially get in the playoffs. But I yeah. think they're all going to lose to each other. I think they're all going to take games of each other, and um, you know they've all got to play. You know the Chiefs as well, so they're going to lose a game. <laughs> they're all lose a game there. I, I just think for me that the um, the, the Rams are stronger. Forty Nineers look good, and the Seahawks look good. And if they all get or get wins against the AFC opponents, they could all get in the playoffs. But I think, you know, Vikings, I wouldn't surprise me if any of the four teams won the NFC North out of the Bears, Lions, um, Packers and Vikings, because yep. I think it's the tightest division. I know the Lions won't do it because they haven't won it in 25 years. But, they'll, um, blow it, they'll blow it again. Yeah. The, um, just to kind of put a draw a line under this, the do we think the Rams are going to be okay and make the playoffs then? Well, I think they I think they're going to make it as a wild card. Yes. Okay, and what about the Cowboys? Do they get it back on track? Mm, I think the Eagles might take that division when they if they if they get everyone back in time from injury. And based on what you're saying, you're getting eleven and five for a, for a wild card probably in the NFC. Yeah, I mean, literally, that's one thing that's fascinating that. All the NFC teams are beating all the AFC teams. Yeah. So for the AFC, you're going to see teams, one team in the playoff, I reckon, about eight and eight, I mm. think. And then yeah, it's going to be so difficult in the NFC to get through. Really, really difficult. Do the Panthers move on from Cam or stick with Kyle Allen? I think he's undecided. Mm. Only they know what how serious the injury is to... Um, uh, Cam Newton. You know, they only tell you at the end of the season, don't they? So when someone's been playing well, badly, exactly they say, oh yeah, he um, had a broken arm for the last six games, <laughs> but we didn't want to say anything so he didn't get targeted. I think it's there's true. something seriously wrong with Cam Newton. He had to, to, to remodel his whole throwing action, didn't he, during the off-season, which is never a good sign. Yeah. to do that. All right, let's move on to a couple of other uh, teams uh, and narratives I want to get into with you quickly before we wrap. The oh, I Mi- love narratives. Do you? <laughs> I've heard you do. Miami, Washington, uh, of course, slugging it out of the wrong end uh, of proceedings. Uh, and it, it, I guess a, a game that was perplexing for a lot of fans of those respective franchises because you want to win games, but at the same time, you know that a couple of eking out a few wins here and there 
the Bengals in this conversation as well. You're going to blow your chance of the number one draft pick, which is always a valuable commodity, but particularly going in to next year's draft, particularly if you need a quarterback, which all of those teams, well, we don't know what they've got with Dwayne Haskins, the Redskins, but uh, you certainly feel that the Dolphins and the Bengals are going to need a quarterback. And with two of the Alabama quarterback, uh, the uh, consensus number one pick, you don't want to win games, but you want to win games, Mark. And in the end, the Redskins got it done. So is it a, a one of those situations where, yeah, Miami lost, but actually it's not really that bad a thing that they lost? But the end was great, though. Ryan Fitzpatrick coming on again with a bit of Fitz magic, him suddenly reigniting the Dolphins' offense. I, I, you know, I really enjoyed the end of this game. It was Were they wrong the to fact- go for it? Because they, they went for the win, went for the two-point conversion to, to win it when they could have tied it. I, what was odd was, I think, no, they weren't wrong to go with it because I think that the Redskins are the better team. So you, when you've got a chance to win it, you have to try and win it. But their play selection was rubbish. <laughs> their two the point, they made. Yeah. The two-point conversion attempt was hand off and then trying to the running back and then try and run through the Teddy and Drake. Thought, yeah. Yeah. I just thought this is, and he almost dropped it on purpose. That's when you think, oh, right. They Here were we just um, <laughs> trying to lose, to lose that one. Um, but I, I quite like the matchups between the um, uh, losing teams. I do think there's a, maybe there's a thing in American culture, which they, they really hate losing a lot more than British people do. I don't know if it's a thing. Well, I think there's a whole more of a stigma for not winning. I think they'd rather win, you know, two or three games than, than being the worst team. Game, irrespective of it damaging, yeah, the long-term potential of continuing to lose. Yeah, I, I hear you. And I think um, it's a difficult balance for the owners as well. I, I get that. I mean, this idea, I don't think any, any players certainly and, and coaches deliberately go out to, to lose games. I just don't think. You know, I just don't think that happens. Does morale go because you see all the best players around you dealt and you realize well, you're hiding to nothing possibly? And does that constitute the same kind of thing in terms of how the front office are dealing with it? But, you know, they'll argue it's a duty of care that we need to stockpile these picks. It's how the NFL works. Give us a few years and we're going to be good again in, in theory anyway. But as we see with the Browns, for example, this year, it doesn't always work out in practice. Well, I, th- I think um, the NBA did a brilliant thing when they came to draft picks, where which they should implement in, in the NFL, where a, a lot of the listeners will probably really know that you get a percentage chart. It's a lottery. The draft so, lottery, yeah. Yeah, all the teams that make the playoffs are ranked in the playoffs section, and all the teams that don't make the playoffs, they get a percentage according to record. So, so of getting that first pick, and they do a lot. So, for example, say the Dolphins were the worst team, rather than automatically having the first pick, they would get a percentage of maybe their name would be in the lottery 50 times out of 100 or 20. Proportionately higher, yeah. But yeah. Not, but it's not a guarantee they get the pick. And I think that would be make it much more competitive because people are starting to tank. Like in, in the NBA, the team I support, the 76ers, they tanked for about three or four years to get this number one draft picks and some of them don't work out. And then now they're a playoff force. I think it's really damaging to the league because you suddenly have got teams where the team's playing that AFC North, or say you're playing a division with all these awful teams. Mm. Well, the, it's not fair because the Patriots based in the Patriots. The cakewalk every year, yeah. Yeah, they've got the Dolphins. They're all going to get a win against the Dolphins. They're going to get two yeah. wins against the Dolphins. And it's not fair for your teams in that division. So I really think they should bring in 
the lottery thing to stop tanking. And then so you could just miss out the playoffs and you could get the first first round pick. And then that could be because nothing worse. And teams like my friend supports the Bills as well. Mm. I support the Lions of being uh, last few years being like seven and nine, eight and eight. And so you know you want to get a draft pick around 13, 14, you know, 12 or 13. Probably not going to get a blue chip franchise changing player unless you're lucky around that number. Because there's maybe about seven or eight or five Mm -hmm. or six each season. So you're just going to be uh, perennially average. So I really think bringing that lottery. Unless you do what Belichick does and just wheel and deal them and just take 55 third and fourth round, round you've picks got and turn them a brainwashing stars. machine where you come into a room and he's a bit like a, a clockwork orange is it, is that shows really? you a video yeah your eyes uh, are put open with matchsticks of the dolph um of the patriots winning for 24 hours until you're totally brainwashed and you've got no no personality less and he also has talks about two playing <laughs> 24 hours and that's one of the key key factors i've heard he really he loves molly coddling <laughs> and then no, no there's no molly coddling oh there's no molly coddling right. above the sign when they go onto the pitch it says no molly coddling just above <laughs> that's their sign. yeah welcome to foxford no molly coddling I love yeah. it. Oh, man, it's great to catch up with you. I can't believe it's taken us this long to get you on this season, but um, uh, all is well in, in Marrickland by the sound of it. Yeah, pretty cool, mate. Just sitting here, having a nice cup of coffee, enjoying <laughs> the endless possibilities of life. Well, I'm glad to hear it. If our listeners want to follow you on, on social media, on Twitter, and catch up with some of your stuff, you do, you're do. you quite a prolific uh, filmmaker as well, right? You make a lot of uh, comedy shorts and stuff on YouTube. So where can they find I'm you? On YouTube, um, on Twitter at uh, Marek Larwood. I've recently my mm. new hobby is walking now. Oh, really? I'm definitely. I'm just going lots of walks, and I make videos of my walks. <laughs> I understand that a lot of people listen to this, and no one will like walking. But I've set up a <laughs> new channel no one, called Some the, People Will Like Walking, Cool yeah. Dudes Walking Club. The cool dudes walking by. The opposite of uh, American football. Well, it's kind of yin and yang, so that's nice for our listeners to kind of, yeah, offset a crazy six hours of red zone with with cool dudes walking. Cool dudes walking. Walking club. Cool dudes walking club. Cool dudes walking club, my bad. Sorry, cool dudes walking club. We'll go get stuck in with that. And also you do a great Boris Johnson impression as well, so go and search that out on on YouTube or your video video platform of choice. Uh, Great to chat to you, man. I hope uh, the game goes well for your Lions tonight and come and see us very, very soon. Take care, dude. Bye. (laughs) Bye, mate. Fantastic stuff from Marek. Uh, you can follow him at Marek Larwood on Twitter and go and get involved uh, with all his YouTube stuff as well. A very funny man. And I can guarantee you'll be hearing more from him throughout the course of this season. Right then, from Marek and crazy comedy to some deep dive stats. Uh, this guy got in touch with us a little while ago with some really, really interesting data on the international series. And Harry, the producer, said we've got to get him on the show. And that's exactly what we're going to do. Delighted to welcome to the Nat Coombs Show, Charlie Mullen. Charlie, great to have you on the show. I'm looking forward to digging down into a bit of data uh, with you. Let, where did all that come from, first things first? Where did your love of stats first uh, rear its head? Well, when I was young and um, getting into the NFL when it first came to England in the 1980s, I think it was, um, I was fascinated with these numbers that came up on the screen. And um, I was obviously being a very curious young teenager. I was like interested to find out more about it. So um, pretty much a lot of self-tuition got into um, finding out more about the game. But um, I've 
you know, I've grown to love ever since. And um, I was ever since those days, it's sort of been my number one sport. And I'm really glad to be involved in a show like this that covers the NFL so well. Well, the international series is where you're really, um, uh, really keying in on. And what I, I want to get into uh, with you, because you've got some really interesting stuff, not just on the game yesterday between the Panthers and the Bucks, but I want to get some of your, your favorite stats of the series so far, not least self-interest here. I wrote a piece for, and I'm plugging, plugging away here, seamless, seamless segue into a plug. <laughs> Colin, I wrote, uh, international series, all pro lineup. And we based that, I got a, a lot of help, uh, from the ESPN stats and info crew, uh, in terms of selecting players based on their performances. So it might not be the best players that have come over here, but have had the best performances. So it's an area I'm interested in too. Um, and we'll get into some of your all-time NFL international series stats, some of the stats from last night. Just want to ask you something quickly in terms of how stats are, and analytics specifically are informing the game more and more. So uh, on the back of the live broadcast we did from Spurs yesterday, uh, headed back, hot-footed back in a, in a cab, I was telling Ollie, our producer, that me and Mike Carlson were in the back of a cab watching Red Zone on a, ta- on a tablet and um, uh, got home to, to carry on watching all the games. And... Uh, it wasn't the Dolphins going for it, going for the two-point conversion on the win, but just uh, the amount of times that teams are going for it now, either on fourth down when I don't think they need to early in the game, when it doesn't, when they're still very close in terms of score. Uh, is there any data that you've seen on that? Because I fired something out about it that I think it's out of control. Gab Marcotti, ESPN's Gab Marcotti. Oh, yes, I have. Gab's going to be coming on the show later on this season. He's a big Philly fan. Uh, he wrote back to me saying, I wrote uh, on Twitter, going for it on fourth down, uh, two point conversions, getting out of control. He wrote back, analytics, baby. <laughs> and I wrote back, said, oh, I get that, but, um, individual situation has to be considered as well when you're interpreting the numbers, right? You've got season trajectory, you know, both micro and macro. So how this game's going, how the season's going, what a win will mean for you at this particular time in your division, your quarterback mindset, um, the fluency you've had over recent quarters and, whether you can actually deliver on that fourth down conversion if you've been failing miserably. All these different things factor in, don't they? They do indeed. And um, you mentioned the Miami-Washington game yesterday, which came down to a two-point conversion. Um, personally, I would have gone for the traditional extra point to take the yeah. game into overtime. But there's a part of me that thinks Miami perhaps wanted to lose that game and um, you know, <laughs> yeah. audition for the number one draft choice next season. So uh, the Conspiracy yeah. theory abounds, yeah. yeah. But, um, it baffles me when coaches say, you know, I went for the two-point conversion when a PAT would have level the score and take the game in overtime because they say, well, we might not have got the ball in overtime. And it's just like, well, yeah, but you might also have got the ball. I've got the ball in overtime. Exactly. And even then, just go for a fourth and one when you're, I don't know, seven, three down in the second quarter. I just don't, I just no, don't get no. it. All right. Let's talk about um, the international series. And speaking of which, didn't Vrabel go for it on, on two for the Titans and went to, went for the win uh, uh, when the Titans were over last Against year. But, Chargers. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Uh, let's start with Jameis Winston, who had a, a nightmare at Spurs, didn't he? Um, similar, I guess, to Spurs' performance against Bayern Munich. You could, you could draw parallels there. Spoken like a, I spoke like a true West Ham fan and I've just lost all our Spurs listeners in one go. I'm only playing. Uh, but Jameis Winston, um, had a messy old, messy old day and it started badly, uh, <laughs> and just went downhill from there for most of it. Well, yeah, you mentioned Spurs, and um, I'll just throw this little stat in that um, the stat count was seven-two um, yesterday. So, for all those Bayern Munich fans nice. and people who don't like Spurs, there's one for you. But yeah, Jameis Winston yesterday had a, had a shocker. Um, he did his best to put the INT into the international series. <laughs> 
And also, you can't spell Winston without I-N-T. So he was living up to um, to both those, really. But yeah, five... I'm loving that. I think I, I can see five to seven minutes of international series stat stand-up rolling. <laughs> Double down with Marek, who was on earlier, and we could get a I'm, I'm open to all offers. <laughs> but um, yeah, five interceptions, and um, the seven sacks are records for an NFL London game. Um, I won't need reminding of that. But um, I guess if you want to say on a plus side, on a d- disastrous day for him... Um, he threw his 100th career touchdown pass, and he also became the second quarterback to throw for 400 yards in London, um, second behind Kirk Cousins, who did it for Washington against Cincinnati in the tied game that needed overtime. So he's the first player to do it throughout four quarters. So um, that's that an- incredible, isn't it? You've yeah. got, I mean, talk about an absolutely topsy-turvy performance statistically. So he basically had, in, in regulation time, the most yardage out of any quarterback that has come over. And yet he had probably the worst or amongst the worst performances we've seen uh, in an international series game. Okay. Strange stuff. Uh, what about his counterpart, Kyle Allen? Uh, and talk about that 99 yard drive he masterminded. Yeah, it was superb, wasn't it? Um, just a week ago when um, the Bears and Raiders played, we saw a 97 yard touchdown drive, um, which was the most, sorry, which was the longest mm. in an NFL London game. So, to see that surpassed in the next game on the same stadium um, takes some doing. But 99 yards, 12 plays, Christian McCaffrey, one-yard touchdown run. Um, McCaffrey came into the game all guns blazing with um, you know 866 total scrimmage yards to lead the NFL. He's, he's having a wow of a season and, a, and rightly so an MVP candidate so early in the season. He became the first player to have a touchdown catch and run for another touchdown in the same game. In the first 26 games, that had, well, the first 25 games, that had never happened. You're McCaffrey, kidding me, really? McCaffrey, McCaffrey was the first to do it yesterday. And later on in the wow. game, later on in the game, his teammate, Curtis Samuel, did the same thing. So, like London buses, I guess you could say. <laughs> that is extraordinary. And I can't believe that hasn't happened before. Okay. Um, and Carl Allen, 99 yards, has the new record. Well, uh, what an afternoon it was for him. Can't be broke either, can it? Well, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's never going. Tied but not broken. So he's always going to have that. Uh, what about Gerald McCoy uh, on the uh, other side of the ball, uh, bringing the pain once again? And uh, McCoy's walked away with a record himself, hasn't he? He has. He's equaled Jared Allen's record of two and a half sacks in a game. Uh, that was back in game seven in 2013 for the Vikings against the Steelers. So, um, yeah, we still haven't had anybody with three sacks, but I'm sure Gerald McCoy will be very happy with his day's work, as will the rest of the um, the Panthers' defense, who basically, um, I'm sure, um, James Winston is still having nightmares about uh, about facing them. Uh, and no doubt about that. Okay, so three goodies from yesterday's game. What about uh, generally all time? What are your favorite stats from the international series to date? Well... I'm still waiting for a kickoff return for a touchdown. Right. No, a punt return for a touchdown. Neither has happened. Um, after yesterday's game, there has been 259 kickoffs and 236 punts. So um, the way things are going in the NFL, you know, there's a lot of touchbacks, etc., from kickoffs. So I'm not sure if we'll ever see a, a, 
uh, kickoff return for a touchdown. But there again, I don't think many people would have expected to see the fair catch kick yesterday. Yeah, exactly. We almost had a first then, and we could ever see that again. I don't know. You never know. Um, it was funny listening to the American commentator saying, oh, the English fans probably don't know what's going on. And they were saying, well, I'm, I'm quite sure there's a lot of Americans who aren't quite sure. <laughs> yeah. How patronizing can you get? Yeah, these there. Uh, what's going on? I mean, come off it. It's like, yeah, exactly. How, I mean, how rare is that in the NFL? So yeah, kickoff, uh, return for a touchdown and punt return. Neither is that happened. That is neither has happened. Any, anything else on your, um, on your bingo card that you're waiting to scratch off? Um, I don't think there's been a blocked punt either. So, um, that, that's about it. I mean, there, there's loads of other things, but, um, the, those are the ones that stand out for me. I'm waiting. I've got a tweet already. So, uh, where, whenever that happens, it'll be, um, Fire that out. Yeah. I'll leave you with seeing as you've come bearing gifts uh, to our pod, Charlie. I'll leave you with something that, uh, it's not an international series game, but I thought you'd like, as a statistician, uh, Adam Schefter, uh, tweeted a little bit earlier on, uh, today. San Francisco, seeing as we've been talking, uh, talking them up as a legit, they've got an 83 point differential, which is, uh, the franchise's best through five games since, can you guess what year? So it's the best through five games since what year? Well, I'm guessing because they were 4-0 for the first time since 1990, I'm going to go 1990. 1961, would you believe? Yeah. And let's think of all the great 49ers teams we've seen in that time. Uh, The 1990s, a good landmark as well there, all those fantastic Walsh and Montana and young sides of the the 80s and and early 90s. So uh, San Francisco, statistically anyway, things are looking legit for you. Uh, There you go. That is my stat gift for you, courtesy of the great. I appreciate that. Shefty. There you go. Uh, well, thanks for coming on, man. We really appreciate that. And, um, if our listeners want to get into, uh, into this more, cause it is a, a fundamental part of, uh, of the game and whether it's a kind of curiosity or, you know, more deep seated than, than that. And I guess my Twitter discussion going full circle with, with Gab kind of suggests that really that analytics and data are absolutely conditioning and steering more and more of, of what we're seeing happening on the field and decisions that are made by, by coaching staff. So where can our listeners follow you for, for more data? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Charlie P. Mullen, M-U-L-L, A for Alpha, N for November. Um, but I'm guessing if this has been, um, it'll be on the link on Twitter. Uh, the, the exactly. We will give you plenty of plugage. Don't you worry about that. <laughs> Good no to chat to you, Charlie. Thanks very much indeed for dropping My by. Pleasure. My pleasure, Nat. All the best. Yeah, great. We'll roll out Charlie's social media uh, on our channels, as I say, so you can follow him if you want to uh, get into your stats, uh, get your stat on a little bit more. Uh, terrific stuff from him. Great stuff from Marek. As I said at the top of the show, we're going to be back on Wednesday with Iron Mike Deep Diving. So fire your questions in at the NC Show. Uh, lots of extra bonus video content going out on our social channels as well, uh, particularly Facebook uh, and Instagram. Uh, so follow us on all of those, whichever one. Uh, is your social media channel a choice and you'll get loads of bonus content firing out throughout the week. Hope you enjoyed the show. We'll see you Wednesday. Bye for now. Sports Social Podcast Network.